I'm going to read you a list of people's whose birthdays it is today. June 20, happy birthday, Lionel Richie. Oh. Happy birthday, Natalie Portman. Oh. Happy birthday, Jennifer Aniston. And happy birthday, Mark Hamill. That's a random collection of people. Who do you share your birthday with? Uh, Michael Jackson, I believe. It's a day for singers. It's a, day, it's a big old day for singers. Should we sing on to the rest of the show? Do you too. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm me, you. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. I'm not singing. Auckland's new waiting system for who gets surgery when is under scrutiny. We take a look at what it actually says and what it's trying to do. We're also going to break down this week's meeting of all meetings with China and the US sitting down face-to-face for the first time in months. Why some people in their 20s are now traumatised by their parents' social media posts years after the fact. Plus, if you've ever felt guilty for pulling a sickie at work, wait till you hear the links that one man in the US went to. We've got all of that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Well, uh, there is some toing and froing in the health sector at the moment around who gets access to surgery and when. A new method used in Auckland's hospitals takes into account things like socioeconomic status, location and ethnicity to decide on the order of surgery wait lists. But it's been criticised in some quarters as arbitrary, unfair and some are even calling it racist. Peter Crampton is a Professor of Public Health at Kōhatu, the Centre for Hauora Māori at the University of Otago. He also helped design a policy aimed at increasing the number of Māori and Pacifica doctors, and he joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Can you please describe to us, as, as quickly and elegantly as you possibly can, what is the equity adjuster score and what does it seek to do? Uh, so when patients are assessed for surgery, various factors are taken into account and the clinical factors are paramount in that process. Uh, they always have been and they will continue to be paramount in that process. The equity adjuster score, according to my understanding of this policy, is an adjustment that takes account of other factors with the overall objective of achieving fair, equal health outcomes for all population groups, with an emphasis on Māori and Pacific patients. So it takes into account a number of factors, one of which is ethnicity. In the overall system, My understanding is there are five factors which are taken into account. You point out uh, in your answer there that that clinical is paramount. Are you referring to how sick someone is? Yes, the clinical factors which uh, warrant the surgery in the first place. Now, quite often they're not binary. They're not yes or no. They will be graded themselves. So some patients uh, have much more urgent need than others. But what do you make of the critiques that this is patients being prioritised over others based on ethnicity and some referring to it as uh, reverse racism. If one wants to use language of racism and in particular institutional racism, this policy is a response to what is regarded as institutional racism over a long period of time, which has resulted in poor health outcomes for Māori and for Pacific people in particular. And the intention is to bring those health outcomes up to 
the level of the health outcomes of New Zealand European or Pākehā. Mm. That, that might be sort of cold comfort though, Peter, you know, to someone who, say, someone who's really sick, they need surgery, they're Pākehā. There is an equally sick person who needs surgery just as badly who is Māori. Um, it would come as cold comfort to that first patient that I described, even if they are sympathetic to, to the ideas behind that. People on waiting lists, and there are literally thousands of them, all hope to be contacted sooner rather than later and to have their surgery. I think the issue you raised there, Emil, speaks to a broader issue of resourcing of the health system. Does our health system achieve what we wish it to achieve? Why do we need these elaborate pro-equity prioritisation tools to help make selections? Is our health system well enough resourced to achieve what we wish it to achieve? And I think the answer to that latter question is probably no in most people's estimation. Peter Crampton, thank you so much for your time. A little bit later, we're going to talk about a wild case in Oklahoma recently and what one man did to get out of work early for the day. So, of course, we want to know your stories of how you or someone else you know tried to get out of work. I'm sure there's some gems out there. There's got to <laughs> be. This will be fun. Yeah. Get in touch on Insta or TikTok. Search for Newsable NZ. And if it's a bit of a novel of a story, uh, you can also send us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. But, um, Imo, I had a big meeting this week, yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my performance review. It's time now for us to talk about the second biggest meeting of this week, uh, which is, yes, of course, the of course. one that's happening between representatives of the US and Chinese governments. Yeah, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be in Beijing this weekend, meeting with top foreign affairs officials. It's a pretty big deal. The countries, of course, have a laundry list of issues between them. And this will be the first time the two sides have met in person since that whole spy balloon saga. Five months ago, that it feels like that was just last week that those headlines were coming up. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, moles in either the US or Chinese governments here at Newsball, um, so we can but speculate on what's going to be on the agenda, and we will do that now. Imogen has been reading up on this, uh, and I guess the first thing's probably going to be mending the strained relations between these countries, right? Yeah, I mean to put it bluntly, they've been pissy with each other for a while. I think that would be the technical term. <laughs> Uh, and this is the first time America's top diplomat has been to Beijing in five years. Uh, so it's like when you've had a massive bust up with someone, eventually you have to start being nice in an effort to clear the air. Diplomatic experts say this meeting is unlikely to bring about some kind of resolution, but it is a step towards further meetings uh, where more progress might be made once wheels start turning. Mm. These are two economic uh, powerhouses, of course, so I imagine trade's going to be on the menu as well. So President Biden got off to a rocky start in trade relations with China when he refused to cancel trade measures brought in by his predecessor, uh, the well-known Donald Trump. They include billions of dollars in import tariffs on Chinese-made products, which led to a tit-for-tat war over computer memory chips. And the US is also keen to have China limit the export of chemical components used to make fentanyl something that is a huge, huge addiction and health crisis at the moment in America. The rate of overdose deaths involving fentanyl has more than tripled in the US in the last seven years. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. 
And uh, last and certainly not least, averting war. <laughs> hopefully they do not uh, skip over this one. Yeah, hopefully that's agenda item number one, really, you'd hope. But it is expected US Secretary of State will echo warnings already made that there would be serious consequences if China gave military and financial assistance to Russia. And if that wasn't enough, US and Chinese warships have been facing off in a high-stakes game of chicken over the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea. China claims the area is their own, while the US insists the areas are international waters. So much to discuss, basically, is the TLDR. And of course, our Prime Minister Chris Hipkins is also heading to China. I think he's arriving there this weekend. Now, we are going to still talk about why some people are starting to realise their parents sharing every single move they make on Facebook while they were kids. Probably wasn't the greatest thing ever. But just while we have you here, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure you give us a follow on whatever app you're listening to us on. Go on. Dear. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Well, how's this headline for stopping you in your tracks and making you feel old in all likelihood? The first social media babies are growing up and they are horrified. Of course they are. Mm. Think about all the kids who we only know as memes or Facebook videos. And goodness me, how TikTok babies will be feeling in 10, 20 years' time. I do not think I want to know. But who better to talk to about all of this than the journalist who wrote that piece with that amazing headline? So joining us now is Kate Lindsay from The Atlantic. Kia ora, Kate. Hi, how are you? Thank you for being here. So you've spoken to people whose parents posted loads of content of them when they were kids. What did they tell you about the impacts of that? Yeah, so the first and kind of main focus of the piece is a young person named Kami. She was a child probably in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and her mother was not an influencer. Uh, she wasn't any type of public figure. She was just using Facebook like a lot of people do, very publicly, accepted tons of friend requests, and would just share her day-to-day life, which kind of was mostly about Kami, her daughter. But at the time, what kind of seemed just like a digital scrapbook came back to kind of have these unanticipated repercussions, all of this content of her, you know, as a child, sometimes intimate health details, photos of her just kind of behaving in a way that when you're an adult, you wouldn't want to have easily accessible next to your name with just a Google search. Did they find that it was continuing to affect their lives as adults, that they were still recognized, um, for example, if, if, if they were photographed when they were children? I'm sure that is a case for the people who are children of more like prominent influencers. Um, I, I've had the living in New York. I've had the experience of my, myself of like sometimes seeing a, a child on the street and being like, oh, my gosh, I, I know that child from, <laughs> so from Instagram, which is very weird. Because this brings up interesting questions about privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your rights to privacy when you are a child. What what are those rights like in the US? For the most part, in terms of the law, the assumption is that the parental authority kind of 
supersedes any of those other rights to privacy. Like, there's this assumption that the parent is uh, is doing what's best for their children and, and is the one who has the right to make those decisions. There are no laws or really even guidelines about, you know, someone throwing a tantrum or, or someone, you know, a parent oversharing about a child's health status. There are no rules against that because it does kind of fall into, it's not necessarily outright harmful at the time but it's something we just don't know how it will age. Is there a wider lesson in all of this just about how much we should and shouldn't be posting online kids or no kids? In terms of like broadly posting I think one of the reasons why I felt this piece was interesting to write now is because of platforms like TikTok and even the way Instagram is shifting um, social media is not about just connecting with your circle anymore. It's about broadcasting yourself to as wide an audience as possible. And so in the case of some of the examples, you know, you mentioned uh, TikTok children. TikTok is not a closed loop and it's really kind of impossible to make it a closed loop. When you post something on TikTok, you are kind of ceding control as to where that content goes. This video of a child or like we were saying, just anyone of yourself, you're, you're getting put in front of an audience that you have no idea. And it could be a hundred people, it could be a thousand, or it could be up in the million. Now going forward, it needs to be something if you do choose to post your children on social media that you're open to facilitating a conversation with them as they get older and start to have um, this digital coming of age. When they turn, you know, 10, 11, 12, they're going to start to understand what it means that there's content of them online and they may not react well to that. And I think it's important now that sort of parents of this generation are open to being like, okay, like, tell me what you want. Kate Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Imogen. Yes. I've been waiting to talk about this one. This is a fun story. This have you ever have you ever told a fib to get out of work, out of interest, pulled a sickie? Like I've definitely told fibs to get out of additional shifts. You know, like when, when I used to work hospo and it'd be my day off, but right. someone else had called in sick and they tried to they'd try and get you to come in and I've definitely played the old it's my dog's birthday. <laughs> it's very important. Wait, I but that's know. as far as it's gone. Because come on. You, you've pulled a sickie. No, I've not pulled a sickie. Are you serious? I'm just, I just get sick quite often. The reason I ask is because uh, a man who works at a petrol station in Oklahoma in the USA, or rather I, I should probably say worked, past tense, um, is accused of getting his friend to organise a robbery at said petrol station so he could leave work early. <laughs> Imagine if I was like, yes, actually, this is what I've done. <laughs> What? <laughs> so, yeah. So, a so this, guy, this is beautiful. It, it reads like a <laughs> like a comedy script. <laughs> this guy texts a mate uh, asking her to organise someone else to rob the petrol station. So she <laughs> she rings the <laughs> dialer robber or whatever and organises for this guy to walk yeah, into the petrol yeah. station with a note that says, "Give me all your money or I will shoot you." Uh, the guy gives the money <laughs> over, but then text messages revealed 
uh, this for exactly what it was. So now all three of the people involved are in jail awaiting trial. Uh, the petrol station <laughs> wagger, the mate who sussed the robber, and uh, the robber themselves as well. Glorious. This sounds like an episode of The Peep Show. <laughs> like Mark, Jeremy and Superhands. Like this is the three of them coming up with, you know what the easiest way to get off work this afternoon, Matt? Robbery. What? Yes. And as a matter of fact, the local police station has addressed that point. Uh, it, it, the, the, the police statement <laughs> says, this is not the recommended way to leave work early, which is probably advice to live by now. I'm really glad we've got that cleared up. I'm really glad. Uh as we mentioned earlier in the show, of course, this surely opens a treasure trove of newsable listener yarns. Have you got a wild way you yourself tried to get out of work or managed to get out of work or someone you know tried to get out of work? We'll, we'll check a question box up on the old Instagram or you can flick us an email as well, newsable at stuff.co.nz. I cannot wait to read these because I just know that there's going to be some absolute gems in there. But for now, that's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again 6am tomorrow morning. Till then, have a good one. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support.